Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Welcome everyone to this IWN podcast. Thank you for listening in. Our guest speaker today will be Alexis Cousins from SEB. Alexis is a sustainable finance advisor within the debt capital market department at SEB based in Stockholm. And in addition to her day-to-day work, she's also a PhD candidate at the Stockholm School of Economics. Her research is out of the Department of Management and Organization, and she focuses on workplace inequality and obstacles for underrepresented populations. And this is focused within the Swedish financial sector specifically. And she applies this research to her work at SEB, where she works primarily with sustainable bonds, but she's also in charge of a hiring program within our investment banking division to facilitate opportunities for underrepresented talent. And prior to her role at SEB, Alexis has previously worked in corporate and investment banking client coverage in Barclays, New York, uh, London, and Stockholm. Alexis is from the United States and holds her undergraduate degree from Cornell. So Alexis, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Always excited to talk about this subject. Excellent. And the subject at hand is workplace diversity and challenges to that, as well as workplace inequality in general. So today we'll be not only focusing on the specific topic of of gender inequality in the workplace, but we will look at the broader landscape of general inequalities that we can find in the workplace today. So Alexis, why don't we kick it off with, uh, with the first question. Could we actually just start with you touching on a few specific examples of workplace inequality as it exists today? And also, could you share your views on whether some of those challenges are, are more difficult to address than others? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to address with that. So to begin with, with workplace inequality as a whole, it does come in many shapes, ways, and forms. So all of my research takes place in the financial context. So when you do go to a bank, it's pretty easy to see oh, there's not that many women here, or they're working as secretaries and not in the picture of executive management. But as I've kind of been in this setting for longer and dug a bit deeper, there's a lot of layers of disadvantage, obstruction, barriers, etc., to women and many other populations as well. And that's kind of one of the things, it's very easy to talk about gender and it's very easy to quantify it. And it's very easy to at least get base figures of how many women are in these positions. What is the promotion rate? What is average comp, et cetera. But in a lot of ways you have obstructions to research in that you don't have large enough of a sample size. And in a lot of cases, you may not have the maximum kind of workforce actually in these settings. So you may have, at least when it comes to perhaps like migrant or foreign populations, you may have more people that are job seeking or have given up. So you don't actually have that many examples to study that actually make it into the workforce. I'm thinking more like finance and banking specifically. You have other industries where it's perhaps a bit easier to get a foot in the door without kind of local social capital. But in general, yes, you have obstructions to perhaps getting into an organization. And then you also have obstructions and perhaps unequal structures in regards to promotion, inclusion, compensation, and perhaps just sense of belonging. And some of those things are much easier to quantify and measure than others. And it's really just kind of comes down to How much does your company or government track this information and require you to track it? Because oftentimes it doesn't paint a super good picture and you do have it that 
institutions will try to skim and package and trim data to present in the most positive way possible. And oftentimes you'll see figures such as percent of female managers and it'll only be a little bit of percentage points behind, but it's in no way segmented to division, compensation level and so forth. So it's like you may have a lot of managers of women or other under, underrepresented populations that may manage human resources or a legal department or a compliance department, but are those roles that are equally paid to like the revenue generating side of a bank and do those roles have a pipeline to become CEO one day? There's a lot of layers to address this. And just for context, I suppose why I've always been interested in these types of topics is because I grew up in a very interesting situation where on my mother's side, she is white, but she was the first female sports journalist to work for all of these newspapers and to be the first and only female in this locker room and so forth. And on my dad's side, my dad went to segregated schools until he was about 12 years old and he was the youngest of six. So he was the first one to be able to go to the high schools and get the education that everyone else got to get and to actually have as many opportunities. So I've always kind of had to think about kind of systemic inequality and these is the uncomfortable situations that you end up in when you're the odd person out. So I have a lot of fun studying it for a living. So thanks, Alexis. That's a really helpful introduction. I think that makes it very clear that, as you said, it goes so much more, more broad than just gender-focused inequality issues. But at least when it comes to gender, this is a much easier issue to quantify and report for, for different companies. So my next question would be, what are the biggest hurdles that you see currently to actually tackling these challenges of inequality in the workplace? And do you see any that are specific to the financial sector? Yeah, so I guess to start with, you do have a lot of obstacles that especially take place after kind of the first entry level year. So you see a lot of companies, I mean, I specifically study banks that will be extremely careful when it comes to the internship population, the beginning level analysts, graduate analysts, trainee positions. And then from there, you might have a relatively equal balance. But then as time goes on, it tends to skew a bit more unequal, at least from a gender perspective. Again, because that's easiest to track. And with that, you know, there's often the kind of, oh, but uh, when women have kids or they burn out or things like that are usually kind of excuses that come into play. And this does also, again, vary heavily on the basis of where um, on geographic location. So I pretty much relocated to Sweden on the basis of I personally didn't really think I had longevity in New York on the basis of seeing how long my manager spent commuting, like four hours on a train and talking to older women in my office and hearing how many thousands upon thousands of dollars they spent on childcare in order to maintain a career. I couldn't really see myself doing that in Sweden. That's not really an issue because you do have this kind of guaranteed equal one year parental leave. So in certain geographies, that is kind of a major obstacle from the gender perspective. But then you have it here where you don't have that as an excuse and you have often pretty dismal numbers of at least women applying to roles that I guess traditionally have a reputation of being intense, to put it lightly. So you kind of have a pipeline issue to begin with because 
you're intimidated or discouraged from joining the industry. And then you also have instances where, and you can see this in some offices as well. I saw it more in Europe than in the US, that you have women that kind of slowly discovered their interests and also not just women, but those from international backgrounds, not really being super familiar when they were students of all the different roles that existed within a financial institution and really knowing the difference between front, back, middle office, and so forth. For these students that ended up in more elite positions, you have people that then find their way into these more coveted roles, but then have to start from scratch. So then you have women, men, those who perhaps did not have a parent or mentor or neighbor to guide them into the right types of jobs, be disadvantaged on the basis of kind of just age and experience. You might see it that there's many pregnant women in extremely junior level roles. And yes, they get respected here. And yes, they get their maternity leave. But there are going to be obstacles from getting perhaps promoted to a managerial position with taking a full year off very early into your time on a team. So there, I mean, there's a lot of issues where how do you ensure that those that are underrepresented, not necessarily get an easy way or get fast-tracked, but have a trajectory where they could also be on the executive committee, become CEO one day, and not have to be on this like delayed timeline. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that take place. And I think in regard to financial institutions specifically, it's super abstract if you don't grow up around it. And let's say if you're from a place that is in a financial center and you don't know anyone that works let's say for an investment bank, it's very hard to perhaps articulate the difference between what syndicate does versus what happens on a trading floor versus what happens on the private side. So you do have this kind of lag time that takes place. And then therefore, those who are perhaps more socioeconomically, geographically disadvantaged have, even if they might study finance or something like that, they still don't know how to get into the institution at the same rate as others may be able to do that. That's such an interesting point. I actually have never thought about that, but I completely agree with you that I can completely relate to that and and see how that can happen, that without the right role models, you, you kind of start a step behind some of your peers in the industry. When I moved to Sweden, I had only known people that were ethnically Nordic. And it was always like, oh, this is such a wonderful place. You know, I'll earn some more money in the U.S. and at a lower tax rate. And then I'll buy a house in Stockholm, a house in Copenhagen, have my wonderful life, my year parental leave. But they never told me that I would be like viewed as an other and would be questioned about it all the time. So that's something where it's always, where are you from? But where are you really from? But the thing is, immigration is so new here that People still don't, I guess, really know or how to approach it. And yeah, I've been questioned that if I was a delivery person in my apartment or uh, how did I end up in the apartment? And I say, I live there. And it's like, oh, so you rent. It's like, no, I own my apartment. Wow, how do you do that? And I have to give an explanation to people that don't know my name. It's quite a funny scenario. And that's kind of how I ended up studying this as well, because I was kind of so shocked how different things were and how much I was treated like an other here. So it made me want to dig deeper kind of into these questions and what are these structural or cultural barriers. 
I think it's super, super important to highlight issues like that. And in countries, like in a region that is perceived as being very socially equal, it's very important that people understand that those issues exist. Yeah. So I think that's a great segue to to hear a little bit about the initiative that you're you're driving at SEB, this uh, diversity program. So could you share a little bit about what that is, what is the purpose for it, and and what do you hope to ultimately achieve? Yes, definitely. So it's called the Diversify Finance Program, and we're kicking it off next month. So we do have a cohort of 15 students that will be coming in. So it is an adaptation of what you have your standard kind of spring weeks in London that provide insight to students and kind of help them get a foot in the door when they might otherwise not really know what actually takes place with an investment bank. So it's kind of a midpoint between that. And then in the US, you have a lot of programs, particularly uh, with the American banks in the US that have these insight programs, but they're specifically targeted for minority populations. So some banks have it where you have to be black or you have to be a woman and so forth. So this program hits kind of a midpoint in that we want to open up the bank to those that have backgrounds that are not kind of traditionally represented, but not have it be in such a category that you are only eligible for this if you are black, female, Hispanic, so forth. Because when you do that, you do inevitably kind of create divides and You offer the argument to be made of, but I'm poor, but I'm disadvantaged. Why can't I apply to this program? So that's why with this program, we're really focusing on anyone's interpretation of underrepresentation. So this can be, I grew up on a farm, or my parents were doctors, or I have a disability, or I came here as a refugee, or just it can be anything. So in this And kind of as opposed to your London Spring Weeks where you would write a cover letter and so forth, we've scrapped the cover letter and instead the students have written personal essays. And in these essays, they've answered three questions. Why they want to work for a bank, what drives them personally, and what personal obstacles they've overcome. Because in a lot of cases, you have people that have worked quite hard in their life and overcome quite a lot, but it's not really something you would write in a CV because it's not so much oh, I had this internship because sometimes life gets in the way. So we're setting this up. I mean, it's a bit of a pilot project experiment and for the time being, but to see that by allowing students to share their personal stories instead, can we really identify potential and resilience from that and hire students that could then potentially make a huge impact on our organization. So I think it is really exciting in that regard. So they will have two preview days in the office and they all have a guaranteed interview within the various divisions within the investment bank. Now that sounds like a really interesting and fresh take on how to tackle this problem right at at the root, going to students and and allowing them to actually share their stories. Yeah, because I mean also with when you set it up, it's just one identity group, like program just for women or program just for people that are Black. You can fall into a lot of tropes and you can also fall into situations that aren't necessarily efficient. So I know when I've attended women's events, sometimes you can just linger on bad anecdotes and things that have happened to you as a woman. And it can kind of end up with a lot of people commiserating when if you think about those in the majority, when they're having conversations, what are they talking about? They're talking about what's happening in the market 
who's hiring. So by bringing people that come from all different sets of backgrounds, whether they came off the boat from Syria or they grew up down the street, but they just never knew anyone who worked in the finance industry, then all you can do is really look forward. And you can only talk about how can we all get the skills and be prepared and build a network and so forth, rather than focusing on past traumas. Well, I think it's a a tremendous initiative and looking forward to hearing what the results of this are, of this pilot program. And this is obviously a really great and concrete example of how you know, we can we can really tackle this and actually bring workplace inequality into the fold on the business side. So do you have any other examples that you might be able to share of ways that we can address workplace inequality directly on the business side of things? So I will say that there are a lot of efforts across a lot of the banks globally. However, you run the risk of it perhaps not having the intended effect. There's been a lot of academic research that proves that quotas don't work, internal trainings don't really work, because, I mean, a lot of people just kind of see it as an obstacle in the way of their daily operations or business client meetings, etc. There is a bank that just announced that they would be tying comp to senior female management targets. Obviously, these are things that should be promoted, but you run the risk when you bring in people on the basis of quotas. I will be financially punished unless I hire this many women. For those women that are hired, are they given meaningful work? Are they being compensated? Are they being treated? Are they given as many opportunities as someone who got that same position or works in that same position, but was hired on the traditional route and not kind of almost out of fear of losing your bonus? So I don't know. I mean, you kind of have to see how these things pan out over time. And there are kind of a lot of programs as well that have been announced, at least with American banks, to give money and provide financial education to marginalized populations. And that is nice and all, but the easiest way to upward mobility is actually to hire someone and to train someone. And you see this happening on the student level. A lot of the programs in the UK and the US, you have to be in the second year of your degree if it's four years or the first year of your degree if it's three years and that's it. So yes, you're helping one type of person that's this exact age. And that's, again, with our program, you can be in any degree program, and it also includes people that have recently graduated because we don't want there to be kind of a mismatch by having people that have many, many years of experience and are now going to do an internship, but you don't have to be as rigid to be, you can only be a sophomore in college or else you are not eligible to kind of get your foot in the door. So I think it's just more of a matter of being a bit more open-minded and what individuals can do is really observe a bit more in their office. For me, being initially educated to be a historian, I couldn't help but kind of contemplate the context in which that I was I was working in, especially because I started out in the old Lehman Brothers building. As a graduate, you have so much history and so much kind of conflict and reorganization and things like that. So I was always really curious to hear about that. But I think, again, just take a closer look at 
your colleagues who sits on your floor? Are there certain dynamics or patterns? And kind of moving forward, if your team or division is hiring, perhaps try to get out of your comfort zone a bit because it could really change someone's life. So to really get to know people that you may just instantly weed out because it's not the exact profile that you're looking for. This was kind of an easy sell to get this implemented in Sweden because, for example, it's been quite wild. In the past 20 years, average wealth has grown four times faster than average wages. So you have this growing inequality gap that's also quite visible on the basis of Sweden also bringing in the largest proportion of refugees relative to its population in comparison to all the other European countries. So you're kind of seeing a bit more of a workforce divide of who you see in the office doesn't reflect who you see at the grocery store or who you see at the mall. And you can't really ignore that. You need to make sure that in your largest companies in your country, you're making sure that there's equality of opportunity and that also you have role models coming from communities that are traditionally disadvantaged, which can really vary by jurisdiction. If you're not in a position of power in regards to hiring, you can at least just mentor, be open to meeting strangers because it can be really hard to build a network when you don't have any initial connections to begin with. And I know it's a particularly tough job market with the pandemic. So it's easy for a lot of people to make excuses and not really address this right now. For example, with the UK gender pay reporting, when the pandemic first hit, it was made optional to report your gender pay gap. And then half of the required companies that were supposed to report it just didn't when it became optional. So it's clearly this is not a priority, but it should be. It's very easy to talk about sustainability targets when it comes down to carbon emissions reduction, et cetera. But hopefully we can get to a place, especially with the EU social taxonomy coming into place, that we can be more comfortable talking about these social issues. So this is something that you can incorporate into social financing as well in terms of employment programs that target any underserved, marginalized population. It's still something that isn't traditionally addressed, perhaps at least in Europe, and anyone can kind of do their part in their organization to kind of at least open up the conversation and then see if you can start an apprenticeship program or at least just mentor on your own and try to help those that seem to be the minority in your office. Thanks, Alexis. I, I would actually add one thing because I completely agree with you that it's super important to take initiatives you know, for everybody to do this. And I would say outreach is the last thing that I would say anybody can do. So basically every financial institution has programs and initiatives to go out to schools, to universities and speak to students directly. And I remember I went to a career fair back when I was in grad school and at the booth for the bank where I got my first job as a graduate, there was a female who together with with some of her colleagues who was speaking about opportunities within the markets division. And I spoke with her and I remember that just struck such a chord with me kind of seeing myself in, in somebody who worked there and I ended up applying for, for the position and I ended up getting my first job there. So I think outreach like that is is easy for anybody to do. And that's another great way to, to tackle this from the ground up. Yeah, I agree. And I guess it's just a bit trickier when you have 
kind of all those levels after being a student? Because how do you really take a chance on people that perhaps it would be a bit awkward to go through the internship process or someone that may have worked in another country or something like that, but still honoring their experience and giving them a chance. Things are more equal at the entry level, but there's still a long way to go. You're absolutely right. That really segues well into a good ending point for this podcast. Do you have any final tips or advice that you'd like to share with listeners to help them tackle workplace inequality within their own organizations? Anything you you want to leave listeners with? I mean, I'm sure some of you are already fairly open-minded if you're already listening to this podcast, but don't be afraid to speak up and try to generate change. And what's really an interesting read is Pedigree by Lauren Rivera, who's a professor at Northwestern University. She actually went undercover as a campus recruiter for professional services jobs and focused on consulting, investment banking, and law, and kind of had the conclusions that when it came to hiring, people either hired those that resembled them or those that they essentially fell in love with. And it can be really hard to feel that way about someone that has a completely different background than you. So what you can do is try to persuade those that you work with that may not think about these issues so much to be more open when they are hiring, when there is someone that has a different background that sits on the other side of the office to be more inclusive and talk to them and really try to build more community with those that may not have a network on the basis of, oh, these are the people I go golfing with, or these are the people I grew up with in my neighborhood, or this is who I'm in a hockey league with. So for those that may not fit into those categories, and I said that with very Swedish examples, but there's strength in numbers. So to kind of bring awareness to this and be as cognizant as possible with hiring, with promotion, with giving people opportunity to grow within your organization, just to kind of be as open and holistic as possible, because that can really make a difference. I really like your comment. You know, there's there's power in numbers. I totally agree. And, you know, the responsibility to address this, it, it lies with all of us. So with that, Alexis, thank you so much for all of your reflections and insights about workplace inequality. And thank you, everybody, for listening. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icmagroup.org